Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. During each episode of Menu Feed, we take a close look at the culinary trends shaping today's menus. Today I'm talking LTOs with Lauren Hallow, Manager of Consumer Insights for Technomic. Lauren tracks Chain's most appealing, craveable, and unique limited-time offers through Technomic's Menu Concept Development Program. She's going to share her insights on what makes a winning LTO. Welcome, Lauren. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So according to Technomic, limited-time offers have really taken off over the last five years. Can you share some numbers? Oh, sure. So we've noticed that over the last five years, there's actually been a 64% increase in the number of limited time offers that have been offered uh, by the top restaurant chains. And we're seeing this for a few reasons. Um, one, you know, we're just seeing more operators really try and add more seasonal items, you know, try and take advantage of some of those seasonal flavors and ingredients. Um, but the main reason is what I think is just really they're trying to stay top of mind and a increasingly competitive food service marketplace. You know, you're really not just competing with other operators anymore. You're competing with um, convenience stores and grab and go areas Mm -hmm. at retailers. Um, And you're really not competing just so much with those operators that are near you, but really anyone within like a five mile radius, right? Thanks to uh, third party delivery. So Mm -hmm. it's just increasingly competitive, really got to keep adding uh, new menu items, new limited time offers so that uh, consumers know they can continue looking to you for uh, new menu items and new opportunities to try something new. Are there certain age groups like millennials or Gen Z that really are seeking innovation and that's why you know, some chains offer more LTOs? Yeah, it, it's. I think operators are definitely trying to um, reach out to certain demographics and we've found that um, there are certain groups that seem to gravitate more towards these limited time offers. So about three and four millennials said that uh, new flavors and menu launches are an important attribute when visiting restaurants. Uh, we've also found that women seem to place a large importance on limited time offers. Uh, 68% of them place importance on the introduction of innovative dishes when choosing which restaurants to visit. And then uh, limited service restaurant users, you know, right? We see a lot of limited time offers in that space. Um, 30% of those users said they would visit a restaurant or, or a limited service restaurant that they don't normally go to if it had um, a unique limited time offer. So what are the main goals of LTOs? There are really lots of different um, purposes a limited time offer can serve. Um, It can be used to generate traffic. It can be used to generate buzz, um, drive incremental sales. So it really depends on what's in that limited time offer and what that restaurant's trying to achieve um, in terms of you know, what that limited time offer can, can do for that restaurant. And we use a few different metrics to let us know um, what type of limited time offer, or at least like what type of purpose it's going to serve. So first we look at um, purchase intent, you know, is are people going to buy it? Is it going to be appealing? Mm-hmm. And then out of those potential purchasers, uh, we look at what we call excitement metrics. You know, is this something that they consider very unique? 
Is this craveable? Um, does it have a high draw? Are they likely, meaning are they likely to increase visits to a restaurant for this particular item? And based off a combination of purchase intent and those excitement levels, we assign designations to give our clients and our operators um, an idea of what that limited time offer could potentially achieve for their operation. Oh, cool. So Technomic identifies five basic types of LTOs. So let's start with what you call a novelty item. Can you describe what that is and give an example? Sure. So novelty items are, by definition, very unique. Um, these are items that are rated in our database as having very high uniqueness levels. Um, but with that high uniqueness, doesn't usually come high scores for some of those other metrics, right? It's usually too unique to have a super high appeal, may not be seen as super craveable, um, may not have a high draw. The main thing there is that it's known for its uniqueness. And because it's so unique, the repeat trial tends to be pretty low. You know, it's kind of like those one and done purchases. Mm -hmm. People are trying it out of curiosity. Um, so for that, when clients come to us and we test something for them and it comes out as a novelty item, we recommend testing it for, or only offering it for a very limited time, like a few days, maybe even just a day, um, or even a few hours to kind of create that sense of urgency, get mm -hmm. people in the door for something that is so unique and may not have such a high repeat trial. Um, and a great example of that is the unicorn frappuccino from Starbucks, right? Mm -hmm. Like this was a novelty item. Um, it's super unique. It was really created for Instagram, for social media, mm -hmm. for people to share. Um, and it was only offered for a few days because that's, if you look at the ingredients, um, it's kind of a sugar bomb. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's, it's pink powder, sour blue drizzle, whipped cream, more pink powder. So that's really not something, you know, you're going to go out and buy multiple times. Um, you'd probably rather just buy one of their coffee drinks, but it's a good one and done purchase to, you know, take a picture of, just buy to curiosity, see what everyone's mm -hmm. talking about. Um, so that's the quintessential novelty item. And that created so much buzz for Starbucks that it did, um, they announced that they experienced an increase in same store sales uh, for the period that that was offered. Cool. And I know they've offered other similar drinks, you know, periodically. So I guess it works for them. Yeah, and they've they have said that they've so they've offered the, the witch's brew frappuccino, a, a crystal ball frappuccino, and they have said that none have um, had as high of a success as that unicorn frappuccino. Um, so it seems they're trying to find that that uh, sweet spot in figuring out just how unique is you know is an LTO like is it is it's going too unique or going too much that Instagrammable route going to hurt them they have said that they've actually trying to do more um, core products mm -hmm. in terms of just you know regular coffee and food drinks but it'll be interesting to see how much of this uh, novelty trend continues with Starbucks and with some of their competitors right and you know then there are niche items so what is the goal with a niche item and are there two different kinds of niche items there are two types of niche items. So um, the niche items, by, uh, we, we, we refer to niche items as those that generate a high level of excitement among a niche audience. So there are two types of niche audiences. One um, are diet-centric. You know, so these are your, your, your plant-based burgers, your um, 
your gluten-free mm-hmm. pizzas, your dairy-free milkshakes. Th- these are items that appeal to those who are uh, seeking foods that appeal to their dietary preferences. Um, so a, a main example of that is obviously we've seen a ton going on right now with Impossible mm-hmm. Burgers, Beyond Meat. Um, so one of the more popular niche items in our, in our database is the Impossible Whopper from Burger King. Um, purchase intent was moderate because, again, not uh, these uh, dietary preferences or these dietary alternatives tend to not have uh, as mainstream of appeal as other ingredients. Um, even though plant-based foods are gaining more in popularity, they are still, um, you know, a, per, per, many people usually prefer meat over, over the plant-based foods, mm-hmm. but, but we, we are seeing this changing. So purchase intent was moderate for this one, um, but out of those potential purchasers, we had um, almost a third of them saying they were much more likely to visit for this item. And that's actually something uh, Burger King confirmed when they tested this item in St. Louis we found that transactions at those St. Louis restaurants, while the Impossible Whopper was available, increased by 20%. So they act wow. just this mm-hmm. week, they rolled it out nationwide. Right. So so now it's going to be part of their regular menu, I guess. It'll they, Yeah, so I'm not sure if they're going to add it permanently. They, mm-hmm. they're, they're actually getting some... Uh, some um, negative uh, f- feedback because even though it is vegan, it's being cooked on the same right. grills <laughs> as... Uh, yeah. as the the meat burgers so um but yeah but this is this is an example of an item that you know started off as as niche um but d- did so well for burger king in their test market they've now added it system-wide okay and what what's the other type of niche item so this one the other niche item is are what we call flavor-centric niche items so um these appeal to consumers um these typically have have emerging flavors that aren't yet accepted or known by the mainstream. So think of these like your mashups, um, your emerging flavors like gochujang or turmeric, zatar, um, as well as seasonal flavors like pumpkin spice and eggnog. So some of the um, examples of a niche item LTO, well, well the, the main example that everyone's probably familiar with um, is the pumpkin spice latte. From Starbucks and it seems weird to think that this would be a niche item LTO because when this comes out people go crazy for it right um, I believe it's coming out in like a week which yeah, is crazy the 27th. yeah yeah um, but when people come to us and we and they test their, their concepts with us and we give them the results tell them it's a niche item their first instinct is oh no that's a bad thing we want something with broad appeal um, and we have to try and coach everyone that niche items aren't bad. Um, Some of the most polarizing flavors have the most passionate fan bases. And this really comes across with that pumpkin spice latte Mm -hmm. example. You know, this is something that not everyone's going to go out and drink. I know my my husband wouldn't touch this. Um, I can guarantee you my dad has never had a pumpkin spice latte. You know, it's a, it's a certain audience that really drives sales and traffic for this. Um, but it's, I mean, th- th- that niche audience is does so much for Starbucks' sales and traffic that plenty of other coffee chains and just any, a bunch of chains in general jumped on the pumpkin spice. Oh, yeah. Right, so you see this everywhere. So the, it, this is just a really good example to show you that um, niche flavors are not um, are not bad, and you shouldn't you shouldn't mm-hmm. be you shouldn't be afraid of them. Cool. 
So then there's the LTO that has broad appeal. Mm -hmm. um, so can you describe this type and give an example? Because that sounds like something that would be more mainstream. Right. So these, yeah, these tend to be mainstream foods. Um, by So we classify LTOs as having broad appeal if they um, have high purchase intent scores. Um, like Pat said, typically forms of popular foods. They feature mainstream ingredients um, like bacon. So one example of that is uh, Panera's bacon mac and cheese. Um, when we've actually found that one in 10 of the concepts that are classified as broad appeal have the word bacon in the name. <laughs> so, you know, when, when in doubt, add bacon. It's, right. it's probably going <laughs> to increase purchase intent. But the thing we have to worry about with broad appeal items is that there is a chance um, that it can uh, cannibalize existing items on your menu. So um, with Panera, this ended up being good cannibalization. They added this bacon mac and cheese. Um, it was priced higher than their uh, regular mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. So it's okay if people ended up buying the bacon mac and cheese over their um, over their other mac and cheese because it was a good trade-off. What sometimes happens when um, you, you test something that has broad appeal and maybe it doesn't have a, a high draw score, it's not going to drive uh, traffic from a new audience. It's really just probably going to appeal to your core audience. There's a risk there that there may be some cannibalization. So mm -hmm. we recommend um, usually doing further research if you have an item that comes back as broad appeal just because you want to make sure you're adding something that's uh, going to increase traffic or sales and not hurt what's already on your menu. Great. Um, so then there's the best in class LTOs. And to me, that sounds like these are the most successful LTOs. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, well, they... these these are the ones that in our, in our database are the most successful. Um, so if everything works on paper I, and, and everything everything's executed well, ideally, these would be the most successful. But we found that you know, it's not always a crystal ball. It really depends yeah. on, on the restaurant's execution if these items um, are going to truly be best in class. Um, but the thing is with best in class limited time offers, these are very rare. Um, what we found in our uh, database, we have about 5,000 limited time offers that we've tracked from the top chains. And only 2% of those have a best in class classification. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's very rare because well, how we classify best in class are those that have high purchase intent, like those broad appeal items, mm -hmm. but then high levels of excitement, like those niche items. So these tend to be, so you know, it has to be approachable enough to have broad appeal, but exciting enough to, you know, be something new and generate that extra traffic. So they tend to be forms of uh, like uh, like elevated classic foods. One example of that is a. Uh, Little Caesars uh, bacon wrap deep deep dish pizza, and I wish you could see a picture of this. You've, <laughs> you've probably seen it before, um, but it's a large deep dish pizza wrapped in three and a half feet of bacon. Oh my gosh! And then it's topped with more bacon. So, <laughs> so I guess bacon does sell. LTOs. Yes, it does. So, it's, but it's like you know, pe people are familiar with pizza. Right. It's one of those mainstream foods. Um, but they elevated a bit by really adding on the bacon. Um, so this, this had high uniqueness, um, high draw scores, mm -hmm. um, high craveability. So it, it, it touched on all those points. It was approachable, but, but unique enough that it stood out from its competitors. Cool. Well, men and women seem to have different LTO preferences. And so how would you, you know, like separate what they like? Sure. So, yeah, and we found, um, 
So yeah, like we, we have those best in class designations, but each group um, of consumers has kind of their own version of, of best in class. We found that these designations tend to shift a bit based off of uh, the type of group that's rating these items. So among males, we found that some of the best in class items among them tend to be really uh, beef and pork heavy. Mm -hmm. So some best in class items from them include um, the bourbon barbecue triple stack from, <laughs> from Arby's. Uh, there's, there was a prime rib tips omelet in there. Um, and we found that they kind of gravitate toward these uh, beef and pork LTOs is because in general, um, males consume more beef and pork than females. And they consider it, um, com compared to females, that they consider beef and pork um, to be pretty healthy for versus what uh, uh, females consider beef and pork. So mm -hmm. it's just a more appealing ingredient to males versus females. So if you are trying to appeal more um, to males, consider adding limited time offers that focus heavily on beef and pork. Yeah, they're really into protein too. And I'm yes. sure, sure bacon is showing up in a lot of oh, yeah. those. <laughs> It's always better with bacon. It's always better. Always better with bacon. And how about women? Um, what are they? What are their preferences when it comes to LTOs? So this one, and uh, this one's interesting. So what we found, well, what, what people typically think, um, sometimes when they come to us and they're creating limited time offers for women, they tend to go um, the better for you, the, the healthful route. But what we found, and I'm just going to read to you some of the um, some items that are best in class among women. There's a Ooey gooey mozzarella burger, three cheese nacho grande burrito, ultimate five cheese pizza, and triple cheese and bacon curly fries. So the theme there is cheese. <laughs> and I'm I'm a female, I can vouch for this. I love cheese. So and this is something that we found in our data that to back this up. Um, one in two women consume cheese as a snack. Um, compared to 36% of males. So this is something, um, it's like maybe males are getting their protein from um, beef and pork. Perhaps females are seeking cheese to get their protein, or they're just looking to indulge. You know, it's, right. it, we have to remember that even though um, healthful and better for you choices are important, a lot of times we go out to eat for something that we can't normally prepare at home for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to treat ourselves. So Keep that in mind when you are creating limited time offers for women. Um, don't shy away from those craveable, <laughs> indulgent ingredients. Uh, pile on the cheese because that yeah. is something that they do crave. Besides, cheese is delicious. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with cheese. <laughs> so does age also impact LTO preferences? Yeah, we found some different um, preferences among uh, Gen Z, millennials, and baby boomers. So with Gen Z, we looked at some best-in-class items among them. And uh, we found that some of those examples are um, Cine Minis from Burger King. Um, we found a lot of sliders, um, nacho fries from Taco Bell. But a main thing that we saw there was uh, portability. You know, these tend to be items that are easy to eat on the go. And what we found is compared to um, all the other generations, Gen Z is eating food on the go more often than two years ago. So oh, um, interesting. Yeah, so I think it's just really trying to, um, you know, in terms of developing limited time offers for Gen Z, it's probably more about the format than mm -hmm. the flavor, you know, trying to develop something that they can easily take on the go because um, more so than other age groups, that that's what they're doing. Right. And they also like familiar things. You the, know, yeah. That's what I found in my research. Yeah. And I think that's, and we've actually talked to um, our clients about that because they see things like the unicorn frappuccino and those Instagramable foods and they're trying to create 
all these um, you know, flashy, innovative items for Gen Z. But we, what we have to remember is that Gen Z, compared to um, all the other generations, has um, the least disposable income. You know, mm-hmm. some of them live with their parents still. Some of them are students. So they may not be willing to spend that extra money on an item that they're not exactly sure they're going to like. You know, right. something that may just be for Instagram or may be too innovative of a flavor. So they do go for those more mm-hmm. familiar flavors because they they know what it is and that's something they are willing to spend their money on. Right. And how about uh, the millennials that everyone wants to reach? So that, are... Yeah, that's <laughs> the group that you want to go for for the innovation. So right. some best-in-class items among millennials are um, cheesesteak egg rolls, uh, KFC's chicken and waffle sandwich, mm-hmm. uh, cheeseburger pizza. So the, you, you see, these are the ones that they like the mashups. Millennials are really more so than any other group. They're the ones that seek innovative foods. Mm-hmm. Um, so we found that two and three millennials say they enjoy trying different foods. Um, that's compared to one and two people from all the other generations. So when you are trying to be more innovative in your menu items, you're probably going to be looking to target those millennials. Cool. And the group that everyone tries to forget about but is important, how about the baby boomers? <laughs> they are they're very important. And this one's also a, a surprise when we look in our research and see what items are um, doing the best among baby boomers. So some best-in-class items among that group is uh, the five mega meat stack from Arby's, um, a meat lover's breakfast slam, triple meat breakfast burrito, so you see that there's a theme here, right? And baby boomers <laughs> seek meat, and this is something again. Like I think some people trying to go the more healthful, better for you route for baby boomers, but we found um, they really seek those high levels of protein, those meaty offerings, mainly because out of all the other generations, or compared to all the other generations, um, they don't think that uh, vegetarian and vegan items give them as much energy. Um, are as filling or um, are as satisfying as meals that do contain meat. So they are looking for um, those meat-heavy items, even though vegetable, uh, center-of-the-plate vegetable dishes are trending among um, some other groups. Uh, baby boomers need a bit more convincing. They're going to need right. some meat in there to let them know that this is going to be a satisfying meal. Right, and also I think they seek value sometimes. Totally, so, yeah, yeah, especially with those uh, with those breakfast platters that mm-hmm. kind of add on all the meats. Like that's that that'll feed them for hours. <laughs> you know, right. like it's it, it's a good it's a good value if you're going for something that's pretty meat heavy. Right. So how do menu descriptions influence, you know, what consumers would purchase as an LTO? Oh, these, and and this is something that I wish um, people spent a little more time on because what we found in our research is that the descriptions really have a major impact um, in terms of if people um, are going to say whether they're likely to buy something or not or consider it craveable. So, for example, we found that um, if you call something um, in almond, an almond milk milkshake, you're going to get different results than if you called it a dairy-free milkshake or calling something organic chicken versus just regular chicken. So it's mm. really important to play around with those descriptors to see which will have the strongest impact. And we found that um, what, what, what also needs to be done is making sure these descriptions are consumer-friendly. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes um, these descriptions can be a, a, a bit technical. It's like something you would give your, your back of house if, if you're telling them how to prepare it. We need to make sure that these items um, are being described for consumers. So, um, so for example, so one of the rules that I tell um, 
my clients is not to get too specific, you know, not to get too technical. Um, so for example, if you were describing a cake on your menu, you would probably just say cake and you wouldn't describe, you know, flour, sugar, baking powder, milk, eggs, you know, you wouldn't list everything that goes in there because people know what cake is. And to give you a real life example of that, um, there's uh, Burger King's Cheesy Tots. This is a recurring LTO. Um, so we've tested it several times. And when we first tested it, it had a description that was pretty technical. Um, it was, it read bite-sized rounds of diced potatoes and melted American cheese covered in breading. Um, you know, pr pretty technical. It did have um, pretty good purchase intent, but those drawing craveability scores weren't as high. Then we tested it um, about a year later with a new description they had added to their menu. Um, they described it as crunchy outside, gooey cheese, and warm potato inside. So it's, it's the same thing, but this description sounds mm -hmm. uh, much more craveable, um, much more consumer friendly, and purchase intent went up by eight percentage points, draw went up by 15 percentage points, and craveability went up by 14 percentage points. So it really just shows you that that description can have a major impact on um, consumer perception of that item. Mm. And those adjectives sound really tempting. Right, so. right. It's a, it's yeah. It, it kind of makes your mouth water, gives you right. an idea of what it's going to taste like. Whereas the other one, the other description, you know, rounds of diced potatoes <laughs> doesn't have that 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 same. Uh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So to sum it up, um, what are three do's and don'ts when it comes to menuing in an LTO or a menu special? Yeah, so um, we said don't uh, don't get too specific, but mm -hmm. that being said, you do need to give enough details to differentiate and inform. You know, you want to make sure your menu item stands out from competitors. So we, um, for example, we tested uh, just a regular cheeseburger. Um, it was called Homestyle Cheeseburger. Came with your standard ingredients like American cheese, pickles, mustard, ketchup on a sesame seed bun had average scores because, you know, it's, it's, it's cheeseburger. But um, others have tested uh, kind of more elevated versions of the cheeseburger. So we had one from um, Shoney's, which was called a cheddar stuffed burger. Um, it was described as a fresh prepared, hand patted, 100% ground beef patty. Um, not just uh, any bun, it was served on a toasted bun. Mm. Um, it was topped with a bacon onion jam. So that's a different kind of condiment. And it wasn't topped with cheese, it was stuffed with cheddar cheese. So the differences between just that standard cheeseburger versus this cheddar stuffed burger, um, you know, purchase intent was 11 percentage points higher, draw was 18 percentage points higher, craveability 11 percentage points higher. So you want to make sure you um, are, you, you don't want to leave out any of those quality cues that let people know you're doing something, you know, you're going above and beyond, you're toasting the bun, you're hand patting the burger, make sure you include that information in there because uh, consumers want to know that you are, mm -hmm. you are, you know, putting an effort into their food. Cool. Are there any other do's and don'ts that operators should be aware of? Yeah, you do want to include a better for you descriptors. Um, we found that, so we have like 63 items in our database that have the word fresh in the name. Mm. And only nine of them had below average purchase intent. And we found that that's because with some of those better for you descriptors, um, people are more likely to purchase and are actually willing to pay more for those types mm. of foods. So fresh is, yeah, fresh is the main one. Some other ones are made from scratch, um, real, premium, mm. natural, clean. 
So again, it's not, you know, necessarily telling someone this is, this is too healthy, this isn't for you. It's really just elevating some of those uh, ingredients and differentiating yourself from what your competitors are offering. So yeah, so another um, do's and don'ts, well, this is a don't, is don't forget to describe the taste. So, you know, we made, we made sure you want to talk about uh, those, th those quality cues that you're doing. But when you're using, um, you're adding one of those emerging ingredients, something people may not be super familiar with, you want to be sure to add some taste cues so people know what to expect. Mm -hmm. um, so we found that uh, one in three consumers would like restaurants to offer more ethnic foods and beverages. But when these are tested in our database, they don't necessarily get super high scores just because people want more restaurants to offer this variety of food, but then they also want to know what it's going to taste like. You know, they're a little afraid to purchase something that they're unfamiliar with the taste. Right. So we had uh, um, Starbucks's uh, Zatar Chicken and Lemon Tahini Salad. Um, this is a salad that I actually purchase all the time. Um, I think is very good, but mm -hmm. had a below average purchase intent in our database just because um, people may not be familiar with uh, Zatar or Tahini. Um, so I recommended, you know, if, if Starbucks was a client, then I would tell them to, um, you know, describe Zatar, um, you know, expand on that taste, describe it as an herbal lemon seasoning. They described it as a spice and mm -hmm. it's really not spicy. And you, you, you may, uh, scare off some of those who, um, don't handle spice for maybe they have a low tolerance or it just doesn't agree with them. Mm -hmm. um, maybe add some words like tangy to that tzatziki sauce just to give people an idea of when, when you are using these ingredients that aren't yet mainstream, you want to um, you know, get them some taste cues so people aren't too afraid to try it. Thanks, Lauren. No doubt some of your insights will come to life on menus soon. Please join us next time to delve into more menu trends that will help you stay ahead of the curve.